You're listening to Practical Ethics Bites with me, Nigel Warburton. And me, David Edmonds. Practical Ethics Bites is made in association with Oxford's Uhero Centre for Practical Ethics. Violence is almost always unacceptable. It's unacceptable to punch another person on the nose. How then can we believe that it's sometimes OK for one country to go to war with another, when after all, the aggression is on a much deadlier scale? What is a just war? Jeff McMahon is one of the world's leading experts in the philosophy of war. Jeff McMahon, welcome to Practical Ethics Bites. Thank you very much for having me. The topic we're going to focus on is the ethics of war. Now, it's slightly strange that, at first glance, most people think that killing people, tearing people apart, bombing people, these are terrible things to do and they must be immoral. But there is a tradition in philosophy and ethics of justifying certain kinds of war. Yes, some people think that the ethics of war is an oxymoron, that is a paradoxical notion that somehow war could be moral or ethical, that it could be the right thing to do to kill people. But I think all you need to do is think about instances of individual self-defense against wrongful attack to see that the question of when it's justifiable to use force is an important moral question and that everybody thinks that there are instances in which it is morally permissible, indeed sometimes morally required, to use force and indeed to kill people. So if, for example, there's a potential murderer about to kill some small children and the only possible way to prevent him from doing that is to kill him, I think everybody would concede that it would be permissible to kill him. And I think a good bit of the just war tradition is based on that premise. How good is that analogy, though? Because in the particular case where a child's about to be killed and a police officer, say, shoots the would-be murderer, there are relatively few people involved, but war is such a a large-scale thing, so unpredictable about its effects and inevitably involves such suffering for participants and people drawn into it that it might be completely different from a moral point of view. Well, this is precisely why we need an ethics of war, whereas we don't really have any controversy about the ethics of preventing the murder of little children. War is problematic because very often the rights and wrongs of the situation are unclear to the participants, and also, unlike third-party defensive individuals, the practice of war inevitably, at least in the modern world, involves the harming and killing of innocent bystanders on a large scale as a side effect. And these are the types of consideration that people who think about the ethics of war have to deal with. You mentioned the idea of a just war. Could you say a little bit about this just war theory, this tradition in moral philosophy, which gives certain sorts of criteria which justify intervention? This is a tradition of thought more than it is a specific theory, and it goes back at least 1,500 years to the writings of Augustine. It has largely developed through the Christian churches, the Catholic Church, and then through the Protestant churches later on, though it has also developed in secular form as well, and led to the development of the international law of war, the law of armed conflict. So there's a long tradition of thinking about these issues. And out of that tradition, a particular type of theory has developed that has 
a set of principles that have names and that many people think of as largely correct. So what sort of principles are there in this just war theory? Well, the traditional theory as we ha- as it has come down to us today is divided into two sets of principles. The first set of principles are supposed to govern the resort to war. There are a number of these principles. The first one is called the principle of just cause. This is the idea that there must be a type of aim to be pursued by means of war that's capable of justifying the harm and killing that's caused by war. Then there are a number of other principles. There's a principle of proportionality, which says that the harm that's going to be caused by going to war shouldn't be excessive in relation to the harm that's going to be averted by going to war. Another principle is the principle of necessity. Again, a fairly obvious constraint on the resort to war. It says if the just aim of the war can be achieved by some means that's less harmful than war, then war is ruled out as unnecessary. There are also a number of other more controversial principles. One is the principle of right intention, which you find in a lot of theological writing about the just war. This principle insists that the war must be fought with the intention of achieving the just cause, that the mere fact that there is a just aim that could be or will be achieved isn't sufficient to make the war permissible if the people are going to war for some other reasons. There's a principle of legitimate authority, also sometimes disputed, which says the war has to be initiated at the command of someone who has the authorization of the people who would be taken into war to lead them into war. And finally, there's a condition that's called the reasonable hope of success condition, which says that war shouldn't be fought unless there's a good chance of winning, because otherwise all the killing and so on will be pointless. So that gives us a general set of guidelines about when a nation could justifiably go to war. But what about the practice of war? It doesn't seem moral to have a notion that you can do anything that you want within a war. That's right. So this is the second set of principles I mentioned a moment ago. These are the principles that govern the conduct or practice of war. And here there are really only three primary principles. The first one is called the requirement of discrimination. That principle requires that soldiers distinguish between legitimate and illegitimate targets and intentionally attack only those people who are legitimate targets. And in the tradition, legitimate targets are thought to be enemy combatants. And the other two principles are repetitions of two of the most important principles governing the resort to war. One is, again, a principle of proportionality, which says of any given act of war, that act must not cause harm to innocent people that outweighs the good to be achieved by the act of war. The other is a principle of necessity, or sometimes referred to as a principle of minimal force. This principle requires that a particular use of force not be done if there's some alternative way of achieving the military aim that would cause less harm to innocent bystanders. Let's take the case of the Second World War and Britain's involvement in that. At the point where Hitler invaded Poland, there's a question, do we go to war? And for this to be morally 
the right thing to do, presumably those people who are in the power, have the power to go to war would go through these criteria. And how would that play out in this particular case? Political leaders are supposed to think about the morality of their action in going to war. I suspect it's true that they very seldom do that. But if the leaders in Britain prior to Britain's entry of, into the Second World War were actually to think about these criteria, I think they would have been reasonable to conclude that Britain had a just cause for going to war against Germany after Germany had wrongly invaded Poland and clearly had further ambitions. And this is because, in my view, the aggressors from Germany had engaged in very serious wrongdoing that threatened the rights of their potential victims and in doing so made themselves morally liable to be attacked militarily in the same way that a wrongful aggressor in domestic life may make himself morally liable to defensive attack to protect his potential victims. In terms of the conduct of the war, were there things that the Allies did which would contravene just war theory? Yes, and there were a few brave people who condemned these acts at the time. There were, as many people know, instances in which Britain in particular dropped uh, bombs on German cities pretty clearly with the intention of killing civilians as a means of trying to undermine the morale of the German population. The two most egregious instances of this were perhaps the firebombings of Tokyo and Dresden, which killed a very great many civilians and for the purpose of trying to undermine morale, coerce, and intimidate the government. Today, we would call these acts acts of terrorism. Same is true of the American atomic bombings in Japan and the firebombing of Tokyo. These were instances in which the Allied forces in the European and Pacific theaters deliberately, intentionally sought the killing of civilians as a means of trying to end the war. And again, I think today we would call these acts acts of terrorism. These were acts that clearly violated the principle of discrimination I mentioned before, which says that it's permissible intentionally to attack only those people who are legitimate targets. And in the just war tradition, people who are considered legitimate targets, as I mentioned earlier, are just combatants, not civilians, non-combatants who are bystanders to the war. This brings out, I think, quite clearly something about just war theory, that it's about your duties, isn't it? It's not about the best way of achieving the ideal consequence of ending the war, because many people would have said that atomic bombs were a necessary evil for a greater good. The idea that the atomic bombings were a lesser evil is an idea that many people would think is acceptable, but they take a different approach to moral reasoning altogether from that which you find in the just war tradition, which, as you say, is concerned with the idea that we have duties to other people, that there's certain types of act that are wrong to some extent independently of their consequences. So some people would have thought that it would have been morally better to try to end the war in Japan by conducting a land invasion 
of the Japanese islands, even if more civilians would have been killed that way as a side effect than were actually killed intentionally by the use of the atomic bombs. So this suggests that just war theory is very much part of the deontological ethical tradition. That's right. And of course, there are many philosophers who challenge the deontological understanding of ethics. There are moral theorists who believe that if indeed it was true that killing a great many civilians through the use of the atomic bombs ended the war in a way that killed fewer innocent civilians than would have been killed by some other way of ending the war, then it was justifiable to kill the civilians intentionally rather than killing more of them just as a side effect of military action. This would be what's called a consequentialist approach to ethics. And there's some intuitive force to that idea that if innocent people are going to be killed one way or another in the achievement of one's aims, better to kill fewer than to kill more. So where did this just war theory come from? Is it some kind of natural law theory that there is something discoverable, maybe about God's will in the universe that allows us to come to these quite strict conclusions about the limits of human behavior in warfare? Yes, that's exactly where it comes from. It comes from Christian natural law theory and has evolved with a lot of influence from that quarter. As it developed, though, over many, many centuries, people began to try to implement some of the principles in practice to try to enforce these principles through not natural law but human law. And this was what was called the, earlier on the law of nations. It has evolved into what we now call international law and with respect to war what we call the international law of armed conflict. And as the just war theory joined together with the work of international lawyers, it became a good bit more secular. It became unmoored from its theological beginnings. It retains still a lot of theological influence, but it has evolved in many ways away from that. And do you think that this is a good approach to questions about war, that we should rely on this ongoing conversation based on a tradition that emerged from natural law? Yeah, I do, because there were a great many very important insights that these people had over the long course of people thinking about these issues. But what I would want to emphasize here is that while there are some people who think that we have evolved a theory that is largely correct, I disagree with that. I think that the theory that we have as the dominant theory today is really quite untenable. And part of the reason for that is that it does have theological foundations, but the other part of the explanation is that it has evolved so closely in tandem with thinking about the law that ought to govern war. And my view is that the law is something quite different from morality. We impose a law for certain reasons, for example, to try to minimize the harm or violence that a war causes or to reduce the level of wrongdoing or whatever. But there's no real reason to suppose that the law of war is going to coincide with the morality of war. 
Well, could you give an example of where the law and morality don't coincide in relation to war? Yes, I think there's a, an easy example of this. Take an uh, ordinary Nazi soldier who's fighting in what we clearly believe is an unjust war. The traditional theory of the just war says that the people that it's permissible to kill in war are combatants on both sides. So it says that it's permissible for the Nazi soldier to kill Polish or French or British or American soldiers, even though this Nazi soldier is engaged in unjust aggression and is killing these other soldiers as a means of, a, of trying to achieve these unjust aims. It seems to me that can't possibly be right. It simply can't possibly be right that it's permissible to kill people who are doing nothing but trying to defend themselves and other innocent people from wrongful aggression. What you seem to be saying is that this pawn in a political game, this Nazi soldier, is somehow responsible for the fact that the game that's being played has immoral ends and immoral means of achieving those ends, possibly. How is it that people haven't recognised this feature of, of warfare before? Well, there are a number of reasons for this. One is that they see that the person is, the Nazi soldier is acting under coercion, he's acting under duress. They see that there may be some uncertainties morally from his point of view about what he's doing. But I think those considerations can't possibly make what he's doing objectively permissible. What they do instead is excuse him in some ways and make it the case that perhaps we ought not to blame him too severely for what he's doing. But it doesn't mean that what he's doing is permissible. And what the just war theory says is that what he's actually doing is permissible. There are other dimensions to the explanation, though, of why people have been reluctant to recognize that what the Nazi soldier did was wrongful. One of these is that we tend to think that people who engage in very serious moral wrongdoing are deserving of punishment for, for that. But we wouldn't want to conclude that every soldier in the German army who fought in the Second World War deserved to be punished, and we certainly wouldn't want to conclude that it would be desirable to have tried to punish all of them. If I've understood you correctly, what you're arguing for is not a rejection of just war theory, but rather a modification to recognise that participants can be morally responsible for their actions, even though they don't fully understand the likely consequences of their actions. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think I said earlier that the just war tradition really is enormously valuable. And it has identified many of the most important considerations that are relevant to understanding the morality of warfare. The framers of the traditional theory were right in identifying a certain range of relevant considerations but they didn't necessarily get the details right. And there's still, in my view and in the view of a number of other contemporary just war theorists, a lot of important work to be done in trying to reinterpret and refine and revise the principles of the just war theory in a way in which they make the most sense. Wouldn't it be possible then that a country would lose a war by following these principles and not transgressing them, lose a war that it could have won if it had only broken a few of the principles. Yes, but it seems that in 
many cases, that would be what morally the country really ought to do. Think about it first in individual context. Suppose there's somebody who will kill me wrongfully unless I kill him. But suppose also that my only means of defense is a weapon that, if I use it against this person, will also kill two innocent bystanders as a side effect. So if I defend myself against this wrongful aggression, I'm going to kill two innocent people. In that case, I don't think it's permissible for me to defend myself. I have to lose the conflict with this wrongful aggressor. And the same might be true in the case of a country. If the aggressor has made it the case that if the defending side engages in defensive war, it will actually cause more harm to innocent people outside its borders than it will prevent to innocent people within its borders. The same problem that I just called attention to in the individual case arises. And just war theory says if in going to war you're going to cause more harm to innocent people than the harm to innocent people you're going to avert, then you mustn't go to war. So it does have this effect sometimes of saying countries must not go to war, even against wrongful aggression. You've suggested that the Nazi soldier was morally responsible for his actions and culpable, though not necessarily punishable. Now, that was a revision of traditional just war theory to take in the idea that soldiers could be held morally responsible for their actions. If that were actually put into practice, how would the world be different? It would be different because soldiers would no longer be consoled or reassured by just war theory that when they participate in war, they're always acting permissibly. They would then have to think about the morality of the wars in which they were commanded to fight. And if they judged that their war was an unjust war, they would then be morally required not to fight. And I think this would have a tremendous effect on the world in that it would inhibit the fighting of unjust wars. If government leaders could anticipate that their soldiers might refuse to fight if the war they were being commanded to fight in was pretty obviously unjust, that could deter the political leaders from ever trying to fight the war in the first place. Jeff McMahon, thank you very much. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this with you. For more Practical Ethics Bites, go to www.practicalethics.ox.ac.uk.